Well, good morning and welcome to Parent Podcast Live at Brentwood Oaks. Uh, in this 12-week session, we are inviting guests into our class to discuss the question, how do I talk to my kids about blank? And then we're filling in those blanks with relevant topics selected by class members through a poll or through a survey. Uh, and as parents and people who work with kids, it is important for us to learn how to navigate some of these more tricky or critical conversations with ourselves and with others so that we can then translate that um, to our kids and how we talk with them. Um, and this is not to be the end of the discussion, but uh, a beginning of the discussion, because um, some of these topics have many layers. And so we'll hope um, that you take this time to continue the conversation with our, our classmates and with our kids uh, in the weeks and months and years to come. Uh, so with us this morning, we have Kelly, Kelly Cavender, uh, and Kelly and Cindy have four kids who are all now grown and starting families of their own. And I'm going to read your bio because you got some good jokes in here. Uh oh One is a, a professor of English in the University of Pennsylvania. This is one of your kiddos. Uh, probably not, do you call him a kiddo still? Um, not so not, much not anymore. Not so much. All right. Well, one is a professor, <laughs> maybe a professor, uh, in the English... Uh, in English at the University of Pennsylvania college system and the other three are pursuing various higher education paths to one degree or another. Uh, and Kelly graduated with highest honors from ACU while filling in his schedule with advanced Greek classes wherever he could. He's also previously served twice as an elder and aspires to eventually avoid some horrible eternal punishment by completing his religious checklist and earning a spot on the heavenly varsity cheer squad. <laughs> in the meantime, in the meantime, <laughs> he loves God's people and all things related to the word and especially fostering that love and, and love for the word and, and others. So we're thankful that you're here with us this morning. Thank you. We appreciate you being with us. Um, so I guess it's just in kicking us off, we, we started with an open-ended poll, what do people do in heaven? Uh, and we got a wide range of what that looks like. Our topic this morning is uh, heaven and hell. And so we've got things from tacos, all things tacos, to staying up late, sleeping in, praising God, rejoicing, um, praising the Lord all day long. And so we'll get into that a little bit of, you kind of see already the, uh, it feels like there's a lot of good things happening, but not maybe not a lot of specificity of what we kind of understand of what is happening. Um, so I just want to start off with the kind of the basic question of what are some of the different views and beliefs on heaven and hell? So, historically, Israel was all over the map. Um, there, are, there, are al there have always been those among God's people who understand that there is a heaven and that, uh, that eternity is something that man is destined for. But there have also been throughout history all kinds of things that have come in from uh, the pagan worship that's been in cultures all around them. Um, in Jesus' day, we have two, the two primary um, religious bodies were the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees, two sects uh, among the Jews. And, and they kind of were at opposite ends of the spectrum. The, mm -hmm. uh, the Pharisees, they, they believe in angels and angel visitation. They believe in eternal life. Sadducees thought once you die, that's it. Um, there is no more continuation. So this life is really... Everything belongs in this life, in other words. So we've, we've really been all over the, over the map in terms of what that's like and what people's thoughts are. Um, in the Old Testament, 
uh, looking at some of the folks who had some idea about that, um, you've got a couple of references here um, from the Psalms. And David is probably the one who gives us the most insight into an understanding of heaven from the Old Testament perspective. Dwelling in the house of the Lord yeah, forever. Psalm 23. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Whom have I in heaven but you? Um, uh, there's, a, there's, there's always been the idea of heaven being up here and hell down here. Uh, the passage that puts it most clearly, I think, in, in terms of the, that metaphor is in Amos 9 and verse 2, where he talks about digging down to Sheol. God is speaking. He says you can dig down to Sheol or you can climb up to heaven. So you've, you've got the, the, the heaven and the sky and you've got below the earth or in the earth um, where the place of the dead is. And those are words from God there in that passage. Um, can you define Sheol just for clarity, is that? Yeah, Sheol is the Hebrew equivalent of Hades, okay. place of the dead. Okay. Not, not good or bad, just the dead. Because I've seen that word a lot in the Psalms. That yeah. seems like the place where it's used the most. Um, yeah, in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. sure, that's, that's where it most occurs. Um, so you've also got an interesting um, uh, situation where the witch of Endor brings up Samuel for Saul, who's gone incognito to her. And that's described as Samuel coming up out of the earth. Um, you, you've got a, a pictorial view of, of, of that expectation and that occurring um, in, in the minds of these people as they watch what, what happens there. Um, those, are, those are probably two, two defining things that help us to see directionally what kinds of metaphors were used. Okay. Um. And you you'd made a maybe allusion to eternity always being in our hearts mm-hmm. to Ecclesiastes. They referenced that. Um, so it seems like they had these concepts or Enoch being kind of taken up. And so there's all these things happening in the Old Testament. Um, but as these beliefs formed and shifted through time, did any of those ideas change as we started getting into the New Testament? Because it seems like a little bit of a different picture. Yeah, so, I, so more, than, more than the ideas shifting and changing, over time to, to match culture or mm-hmm. knowledge or circumstances. I, I really see it more as being a, um, a revealing, a, a better understanding in the New Testament than existed in the Old, and that's intentional. Uh, things were hidden in the Old. Very few people had a, had a, a good knowledge. Um, the scriptures weren't available to everyone um, in the Old. In the New, by that time, they were pretty much available. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to God's people. Um, so you've, you've got really more a better understanding by a lot of people. Uh, the common man can, can have access to scriptures and, and to understanding that were never available commonly in the Old Testament. So, so the fact that you've got so much better knowledge and the fact that God has, has put his word in our hearts in Christ um, there are things that are revealed to us that were hidden previously. So that's probably the main difference, I the would say. The main shift in the New yeah. Testament. Um, and so then, in thinking about where there are there any other teachings throughout church history that have shaped kind of our common slash traditional understanding of heaven and hell through the more modern ages? Or again, is it more just clarity of I would say of reading and the one thing that's had our, the, the biggest impact on our understanding of hell has been Dante's writings, Inferno. Um, so as you, as you consider that and you consider what the church believed, I mean, that, 
that permeates things that everyone in this room associates with hell um, are his writings. And some of them are accurate, many of them are not. Uh, and they're just things that he imagined and, and ways of putting things down to, to get a point across to his readers. But um, I would say that is, is the biggest external influence that has come in. Okay. C.S. Lewis has also had quite a bit to say um, about heaven and hell, mostly about heaven. What I know N.T. Wright um, additionally more modernly, more yeah. modernly yeah. surprised by hope, I think is his kind of mm-hmm. big commentary on um, afterlife kind of yeah. things and yeah. conversations. So if you haven't read those, those are some good reads to check out. Um, now some of the, like all of these things, the differing views, the various elements, the church history, the traditions, those are probably not things we're getting into with our two-year-old or our five-year-old or our seven-year-old. You know, it, it depends on where we kind of shake those things out. Um, but I think, and I don't, for me, growing up, uh, when I was thinking about heaven and hell and kind of my experience, I remember being told or being talked about like, well, um, we're gonna be singing a lot of hymns. We're gonna be singing hymns and we're gonna sing them on repeat. We're gonna sing them over and over again and forever and it's gonna and be awesome. And when we get done, we're gonna sing them again. We're gonna sing it again. We'll yeah. do the fourth cor- fourth <laughs> chorus again. We're gonna repeat the chorus at the, you know, and so I was like, oh, that sounds so boring. Raise half a key every 10 years. Like, well, how, can, <laughs> how can heaven be good? Like, whoa, man, that sounds, ho- so I guess <laughs> that was an image that I had in mind of what heaven was like. What kind of images or metaphors of heaven and hell are, y- are helpful in talking to our kids about? Because so this is a good question. Um, if, if we're talking about young kids, especially, and I know a lot of you guys have, have young kids, um, I'd, I personally think that young kids are very good at understanding certain abstractions. They, they understand relational things from a very early age. Uh, we're innately um, made to, to understand things that way. So I, I would say, especially for younger kids, that relational abstraction is, is a better approach mm. than, than straight metaphors. All metaphors are faulty. All of them have some value, but it's also very easy to overrun that value and focus on things that are less than helpful and may even be negative. So um, from, a, uh, from a, a relational standpoint, if your kids see that you are excited about heaven, Guess what they're going to be excited about? They'll be excited about heaven too. They they are looking to us to to judge what we think and how we act more than just what we say. And and this happens at a very early age. Um, so if I'm excited, um, then I'll I'll talk about it, and this will come up in conversation with them. Um, the idea of getting to be with God, that being something that's really good. Um, God as, a, as, a, as, a clo- as another parent, really, um, a, a, a close father to us and to them. These kinds of things are comforting to our kids, and, and they learn to love God through that kind of thing um, more than they do about any of the metaphors that we might use specifically um, for heaven and for hell. So uh, in, in, in this respect, I mean, nothing bad in heaven. There's not going to be any sadness. There won't be any tears. Hard for them to understand aspects of that when they think about, you know, for example, in the case of family members um, who may not have a relationship with God. Mm. As they get older, I would not talk about that much with the young. 
Um, I would also stay away from the ideas of eternity. The, the very young cannot get a grasp on that, and it scares them more often than not. One of our daughters was, was terrified of the idea of eternity. Cindy grew up being, she, she, at one point she said she was as terrified by heaven as she was by mm-hmm. the idea of hell. Just because it's so long. I mean, you think about these songs that we're going to sing over and over I and know, over and over. I know, the again. four verses, I mean, and then they do it Who again. wouldn't be scared right. of that? Yes. You know, it's a, that sounds horrible. When I, I think I was probably like a teenager when I was thinking those thoughts. So <laughs> introducing that earlier, even earlier, would pose even yeah. you know, more you know, challenging yeah. things for kiddos. And it's unfortunate that most classic rock will not make it into heaven. So. <laughs> That's true. That's, That's even point. worse, right? Um, and, and so the, the New Testament writers use imagery like um, garden imagery oftentimes or streets of gold and no more sadness. Um, are there any other metaphors that the Bible uses that could be helpful or you know, shedding a certain aspect of light on what it's going to be like to have that relationship? I, I, I think that my, my advice in this regard would be to look at your own kids, um, especially with their current age, whatever they understand. And, and think about whether this might be helpful or not. Think about the ways that it can be taken to be um, bad or, or present something in their mind that's a problem rather mm-hmm. than a good thing. Um, to me, the, these are types that, that are there to point us in a direction. They're not there to describe the details of what we're gonna experience. So I personally think it's a much better approach to say that heaven is better than something that they know. Paw Patrol? Better than Paw Patrol. <laughs> no. Even that. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, those, those kind of things, imagery that they're familiar with and they are immersed in, putting that relationally in context with heaven, uh, I think, is, is, is a very helpful approach. And you talked a little bit about um, the way that we talk about it and anticipate it is going to, the emotion of that's going to bear into our children. I think that's probably the dominant thing that will come across to them. Do you think talking about it, like in terms of the way that we anticipate or get excited about, you know, Christmas time or Thanksgiving time, is that a similar way that we could talk about it with them? We're going to be with our family members or friends are going to be drawn together. Oh, sure. Is that a helpful? Sure. I mean, I think so. When, when, when they, um, when they think about the fact that all the family is coming together Mm -hmm. and is all going to be there together, having a good time, eating an eternal buffet, whether there's fajitas there or not. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we do things that are comforting and there's peace there and there's a, there's a, a good morale um, in that fellowship. So yeah, I think that's a, a very positive thing. Um, we're gonna open it up to questions in just a minute, but I wanted to kind of switch gears with thinking about all these metaphors and kind of more abstract concepts <coughs> and then laying this groundwork of imagery for kiddos. And But what, what then are some of the core beliefs about heaven and hell that transcend beyond the metaphors and the imagery that we, you know, we've got to lock in on those things? So this is where I may surprise you a little bit. Um, Ooh, sit up on the edge of your seat. My, my answers are probably not the answers you would expect to hear on, on this topic. In terms of of core things that we need to believe, um, and I'm focusing mainly on on heaven here, um, because I I think it can be a detriment to focus on hell too much to to little ones. Um, it it can it can create conundrums, 
and and worrisome paths of thinking that become ingrained and mm-hmm. and and can be problematic over time. Not to say that you don't ever talk about it, but if we focus on on what heaven is like, the things and and I've I've got three categories here of things that that are that ought to be core in both what we understand and look forward to in heaven, and what we want our kids to to think of in terms of what heaven will be like. There's so much in, uh, in, in the word that's given in terms of, of metaphors and images and types that it's our nature to get really embedded in those mm-hmm. and to chase them down rabbit holes, to take them further than they were intended. And, and they can become distractions for us. So I, I think this is a really good question. How do we, how do we go beyond that and, and see what's really there for us and what's of value? I think first of all, it's got to be a love for God and his word. If, if your kids and if you or us as parents, if we have a deep love for God, that's, that's the key attribute of heaven. This is what heaven is about. Um, and, and love for his word comes out of that. Um, righteousness, which is really obedience to his character, conforming to his character. Um, we've got the idea of um, seeking spiritual insight as, as something that God has put in our hearts and that, that is touted ev- and almost at every turn. This, this knowledge that's available to us, we need to be seeking it. Mm-hmm. And if I put in my heart to look for God in the world around me, I'm looking to become like him in the ways that I can understand. And I, as a child, learn those from a parent. Um, more than from others. Then, um, then I'm also engaged in, in glorifying God. This idea of glorifying God or of glory itself, I think is vastly underestimated um, because we don't understand it real well. Um, but you've got Jesus saying in John uh, chapter eight, uh, I always do what is pleasing to the Father. This is at the core of how Jesus thinks and, and acts. It's a relationship that he has with God. Um, he is one with God in his mind. Now in the garden, he comes close to breaking away from that because for the first time his will deviates from God's will. And, and he, wants to, he wants any other way but what God has set before him. And, and, and that, I mean the whole history of the world and its future hung in the balance of that dilemma for him. In the end, he prayed multiple times, time after time, not my will but yours. And if it has to be so, let it be so. Um, so that, that dilemma is one that we face throughout life. And we're expected to, um, we're given the opportunity and, and the tools to overcome those things. Uh, David puts it that your word is a lamp unto my feet, Psalm 119. A uh, light unto my path. That kind of idea is a looking toward God for something that he has that we don't, that he can give us. So this is, is probably the first quality of what heaven will be all about. And we see it in Christ very, very clearly. Secondly, I would say, um, going back to your example about Enoch, mm-hmm. Enoch walked with God and then he was not mm-hmm. because God took him. Um, I think that's Genesis 25. Um, the idea of fellowship is tied up with God's whole 
foundational creation and the plan that's there before the founding of the world even. God has gone to remarkable lengths, to incredible lengths, to enable us to have fellowship with him. He, he desires fellowship with, with people who are, are willing to accept him and to come to him um, on his terms uh, to, to a greater degree than we can imagine. The, the things that he has overlooked, the things that he has allowed to have happen are so distasteful. They're, they're so horrible, and yet it's worth allowing those things to exist in order to achieve fellowship with a few with those who seek him and to know him. And, and fellowship is central to what we will experience in heaven. Not the singing of hymns a thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> um, nope, you guys got it wrong for the one million thirteenth time. Let's do it again. Right. It's, a, it's a fellowship with God and the closeness with him. His interaction with us is something that blows my mind. Uh, and I think, I think it really is mind-blowing. Um, we sometimes mistakenly turn that into the idea that we are the center of the universe and of the created things. Not so. We are created as a gift to Christ. And so Christ is really central to, to all of those things. But fellowship with God um, is something that he desires and he seeks and, and finds a way to support us if we seek that also. And then I would say love is the third thing. Love has so many attributes. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, filled with attributes of how love surpasses all these other things. The experience we'll have in heaven um, w without sin, without the distraction of temptation, with those who have endured testing on the earth and have remained faithful to him or are faithful to him in the end, regardless of what happens in the interim. These, um, Christ describes this in a really interesting way. Um, in Matthew 13, he gives us the parable of the tares. Mm -hmm. And he gives the parable and then he, he goes into a house and then the disciples come back and say, what does it really mean? What does that mean? Explain it to us. And so he goes through and he talks about how the evil one, uh, of course, has, has done has, has done these things, and that's what we experience in the world. And God, there's some value to us in those things remaining until the harvest. After the harvest, though, all that is moved, the tares are removed, um, and all that's left are the wheat that have hung on, that have endured, that have competed against the weeds, and have thrived. And Jesus makes a comment there um, in, in around verse 48 or so, I think, that, or 43 maybe, um, that then the righteous will shine like the sun mm. in the kingdom of my Father. That, I think, is the, is the most underestimated characteristic of what heaven is going to be like. We'll be shining like the sun. Uh, and, and you're and like, that doesn't help me visual. What, like, what does that mean I'm going to do? But it's beautiful. But that's so, so tricky. So in, in thinking about your three, as you were talking, I was thinking, so glorifying God, fellowship, and love. And I don't know if this, I'm just kind of thinking through it as you're talking, but maybe the garden imagery is, is one of the most helpful mm -hmm. 
imageries that the Bible uses over and over again to talk to about our kids because it has the glorification of God's creation doing exactly what God's order is, the perfect order that God has had for um, his creation. Uh, there's perfect fellowship, and then there's the love and harmony that comes with that. So that seems like a helpful image to use, but again, it's still really um, tricky to, to use that exclusively. Um, yeah, in terms of imagery, there, I don't think there are any hard and fast rules yeah. and, or, or images that work best for everyone, um, but you know your kids pretty well. And if, if we're thoughtful about these things and we pray about them, we'll do a good job with those, I think. Well, and one, one other image I think that's used, or maybe it's more literal, um, is in Revelation, when it talks, anything in Revelation is probably not more literal, but uh, it talks <laughs> about the new heavens and the new earth, and we won't get into that exactly, but thinking about a way that the garden is being renewed and the earth is being renewed, um, and I used to, of course, think that there were just spirits floating around a little bit, and I don't know what was happening, singing spirits, but um, we, may not, we may have time to get into the physical nature of what resurrection and what the new life will bring. But I wanted to put up uh, a second poll question here. Um, it says, when you were baptized, or when you're, uh, were you more motivated by the reward of heaven or the fear of hell? I'll make that full screen. And while we're, while y'all are filling in the poll question, um, are there any questions from you all that y'all are thinking of as this conversation's kind of building up? Um, I have a question about um, more so about hell, and this is not just about with talking to our children, but even just conversations I've had with you know peers and colleagues, even fellow Christians that now have. This So we're, we're a society that is very, very politically driven in, in terms of correctness in a, certain, uh, in a certain corridor of thinking. Fairly unique in history in terms of what we believe um, currently. But I, I, all of that to say that um, I, I personally would not focus on that aspect of this person is going to be eternally whatever, um, outside of God's presence is, is certainly a good way to describe that. I, I have come to, um, come to believe that, that a, the best way for me to describe that to youngsters is, is to say, well, when, when we live in disobedience to God, God is going to deal with that somehow. Hell is, is, a one way to describe that, but what hell really is and what it means, God will make sure that it's fair, and God will make sure that it that He handles that in an appropriate way, and we have to trust Him to do that. The details of, you know, all the all the things that that have been used to describe hell, um, 
everlasting torment, I mean, eternal flames. I mean, those, those kind of things I think are not helpful, um, especially as you consider kids thinking about their loving grandparents who are not Christians. Um, I, I think it's very easy to set up a, a situation in their minds at which they find themselves at odds with God without really having the capacity to understand what those things mean. So I, I would focus more on the fact that we don't really understand what God is going to do or what that means. Maybe there's total annihilation and, and people just die. Or maybe there is something that does go on for a period of time. Maybe there's something that goes on eternity. I, I don't know that it's, that it's helpful to try to teach those distinctions to kids. We have difficulty understanding them as adults. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because we get distracted by the details. Oh, it says this, 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 and this. And that may be right, but those may also be types which are, are pointing towards a truth. And when, when you look at what society didn't understand in Jewish society in the New Testament, that Jesus came along and corrected, they interpreted some things pretty poorly um, out of the word that they, they knew very well. That danger is also there for us. Um, so I would bring it back to principles and to trust in God. And, and he, I don't know everything about that, but God knows. And he will, he will take care of it. Is that helpful? Yeah. Very okay. Helpful. Yeah, Travis. Kelly, yeah. So on, kind of on that note, can you think of anything that we might, as a culture, commonly believe about hell that really comes from Dante and not from the scripture that kids might be hearing as well? Yeah, so, so some of the worst of, of, of those things in Inferno are, I mean, there are several levels of hell. And, and the levels of hell correspond to the bad things you've done, what, how egregious they are. Um, and it gets worse and worse the lower you descend in, into hell. So, I mean, that idea ha has spawned so many pictures in cartoons and in, uh, in the gen just in general culture, even if it's not talked about specifically so much these days. Um, it presents God as a vengeful and, and as a, um, a capricious being, which he's not. And, and I, I think if, if we understand that God has created us, he's created the universe, he owns us, he bought us out of sin if we're Christians. Um, and he owns us even if we've given ourselves as slaves to other things. He has a right to have expectations of us. And I, I think understanding that, that I don't have rights that supersede God's rights is a fundamental concept that the world gets wrong. Um, so in, in that respect, I think that feeds into this idea of, of some of the understandings of hell that, you know, um, that, that God really doesn't love people. There's evil in the world. Um, there, there are things like cancer that happen. And God explains those things in, in the Word. I mean, he talks about why they're there and, and our response to them in various places, Old and New Testament. Um, so in, I, I think it's better to understand relationally that, that's, that God is going to deal with people who have done what they ought not to have done, who have lived lives that practice 
sin or rebellion against him. Um, and that's about as, as far as I would take it with, with a conversation with someone I don't know well. Is that helpful? So in looking um, just back to our poll question, we had 12 that responded, the reward of heaven more motivated, and then three for the fear of hell that was more motivating. Um, and in thinking about my role as an educator, I think a lot about like using reward systems in my classroom and using them very intentionally and carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book Drive by Daniel Pink is a pretty interesting read if you're interested in thinking about um, motivation and that kind of thing. But do you think talking about heaven and hell as a reward and or punishment is a helpful thing to talk about with a, with a child? I can't give a hard and fast answer to that. I mean, Daniel talks about intrinsic desires that we have that those can, those can be overwhelmed. Daniel Pink. Yeah. Yeah, okay, not Daniel the right. prophet. <laughs> right, uh, nor, nor that Daniel. <laughs> Daniel Pink. Or Daniel, okay. Yeah, so he, he talks about how innate motivations can be uh, can be dampened with with the whole idea of an approach to reward and mm-hmm. and punishment, and and there's certainly some some evidence for that, but there's also evidence that we it's not in man to direct his own steps, um, and and scriptures do talk about such things, not necessarily to children, but it does talk about things so that we understand them, whether that is done specifically to motivate us or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think probably a better approach is to build a deep understanding of God and a, of trust in Him. And I, I know I keep going back to these things, but but being being with God, I think is is the the safest and the deepest comfort and peace that we can offer to a young child. A being who is full of love and a desire for you to succeed and to protect you. Um, and he, he is worth anything we could be asked to do to be with him and to be within that protection. I think that's a much better approach specifically than... Kind of like dangling the carrot yeah, out there. I mean, like, right. if you do this, yeah, you're going to Pie in the that. sky when you die. Right. By and by. Uh, Paw Patrol running on loops forever. Uh, that might work for a short amount of time. Yeah. I can get some really good behavior from that. Yeah, but kids can't think long term, so yeah. they might... Well. <laughs> Uh, well, there's the actually a, a show on TV right now called the, the Good Place, and it talks ab- about you know making sure you do X number of things to get your points so that you either go to the good place, or if you don't meet that criteria, you go to the bad place. And um, you know they're working through what that is like in their minds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, kids are if we introduce those concepts or we're introducing those ideas, um, you know, it gets a little bit a little bit tricky. Um, and I was going to put up the verse. But I mean, it, it yeah. is tricky. I mean, it that, is. That's very yeah. true. Yeah. We sh- I, I think if we're thoughtful, there's not a single thing we can do or say that's going to ruin our kids. Um, over time, we'll get a lot of things right. And kids are, and they're like rubber in many ways, in their mind as well as their bodies. Um, the, the scope of, of all of our upbringing of our kids I think far overshadows and overpowers individual mistakes we might make. It's very encouraging. Yeah, so I think so. I mean, I'd, I have regrets about certain things in the way I parented, things that I did that did not achieve what I had hoped they would at the yeah. time. Um, but uh, the, the knowledge that 
that if I'm directionally looking to teach them well and to be good, a good example to them, that will come through, especially if I own up to my mistakes. Um, kids need to see that. Well, I think that's kind of the, one of the purposes for this whole series is where we're going to talk about, we need to think about all of mm-hmm. these things some, somehow intentionally be preparing to talk about them. But I appreciate the idea that we're not going to get every one of them right, especially on a topic where yeah. it's post-history, pre-history, what's happening. Um, so that, that is encouraging to know. Um, just kind of setting up a space that is open to mistakes and open to mm-hmm. to communicating about it. Um, so one of my favorite series um, for a long time uh, was a series on heaven. It was by a preacher named Gary Henry. And he keyed on the Philippians 3 passages. Um, and... Philippians 1, 23 and 24 says, I'm hard pressed between the two, talking about going to heaven, going or, to or heaven, staying. or staying. And he says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, because that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Um, and so in a more recent kind of thinking about heaven, um, I've been thinking about more how can we balance that idea of longing and anticipation for heaven that we're talking about without becoming like an escapist of like, just get this lousy life over with, it's full of sin, it's terrible, like get me to heaven, because that's where it's gonna be, it is gonna be great, but there is this tension that's happening but with Paul, and he's saying, I wanna be there, but here is where I need to be. So how can we balance that with, with our kids? Y'all keep giving me the tough questions. <laughs> so in, in, in this respect, um, you know, this is a, this is a good question. Um, on the one hand, perfectly appropriate um, way for us to long for heaven and to be with God. And, and, f- and especially if I've lived a life where I've developed that faith and that trust, I want to enjoy that. But on the other hand, I have responsibilities. I have opportunities. I have this, the testing that we encounter in this world is intentional. And it's, it's there to grow us in ways that we couldn't grow without that. Um, and that's, that's foundational to, to God's plan. So, I mean, when you see Elijah, um, for example, in, in 1 Kings 19, I mean, he, he says, I want to die. Take me. Mm. God's surprising answer to that is, okay. I mean, essentially, that's not his verbatim sure. answer. He says, okay, but you've got to do some other things first. There's some things I need you to, to do for me. One of those is to anoint a king. One of those is to anoint Elisha as prophet in his place. Um, and there's some other things that, that fall into that. God grants his request. I mean, Elijah has, when, when God asks him what he's doing, he says, I've been very zealous for you and for your word, and I've done this and this and this for you, um, and I'm alone. I'm, he's essentially saying, I don't have anyone that I can speak to or be a companion with, and, and it's overwhelming. Um, but he, he exists in that for, for quite a long time. God saves him. He brings him through each one of those. Um, and then he tells them what's going to happen with these men he's anointed, that all of these evil people who are creating a terrible experience for him in life, God's going to take care of those. This man's going to destroy a number of them. This man will chase down others. The ones who remain after that, Elisha, will take care of. Um, And by the way, there are 7,000 people 
that have who, who have not bowed the yeah. knee to Baal. So that's a, a good story. I mean, that, I, I think I think that's that's a good desire. But we, uh, in terms of escapism, that's another question. If I if I just don't want to put up with the things that I have to endure, and and I'm thinking of you know ending my life, maybe more and more that's a that's a common thought. We live in a society. If you l- read the latest polls, we are trending more and more towards despair in society. Mm-hmm. Hopelessness um, is much more pervasive, um, and and that uh, that's a scary thing because who wouldn't want to escape from from a lot of these things around us, especially as the world turns increasingly cold towards God and antagonistic toward those who would be His followers, um, but. These things have happened in history before. I, I think our desire to be with God has to be tempered by the responsibilities that we have to our family, to the kingdom, the things that God has given us to do. Um, in Elijah's case, Elijah needed to finish those before, before he could be brought up to heaven. Um, you know, the, the other thing I think is, is service to others. Paul, uh, in first in Philippians one, there, he wants to go to be with God. He's he's poured out his life as an offering to God. He's saying the same things Elijah is saying. He says he wants to go, and and that's appropriate. But he says it's more necessary that I stay here and that I I do these things that I serve you. So that I think tempers these things. Escapism. Um, is going to the escape is going to come in the end. Uh, and in the prophet Daniel, speaking of that particular Daniel, mm-hmm. uh, in chapter 12, there there are some some things that are talked about where Jesus really, I think, is quoting from in the, when he says the righteous will shine forth like the sun. He he really is quoting from that passage, um, and that passage is talking about how um, how God will take care of the evil. And that when, when he does that, we will be rescued. Those whose names are written in the book will be rescued. And that really is, is, a, is a, a good metaphor, I think, in this context. He's going to rescue us from all of these things that we've endured. But it's in his time, and we've got to trust him. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about using escapism with um, your babysitting like I desire <laughs> to be with you kids but I'm hard-pressed but it's better that I go away <laughs> for just a few hours um, so well as we wrap up um, we have maybe time for one more question or if there's a burning question from anyone in the audience burning question or shining bright question um, in in kid-friendly language I guess what is heaven what is hell where is heaven? Where is hell? It's I think what is heaven and what is hell um, specifics of that are, are really more abstract than they are in my mind hard images that we provide to them. Um, I, can, I can describe heaven in terms of its qualities much better than I can than what the landscape looks like, mm-hmm. whether there's going to be grass that breaks off when you step on it or things like that that we see as images uh, in, in places. But um, heaven and hell are, are, not, are not best taught um, 
in, in terms of those metaphors and specifics to young children, I think. I think in the absence of the relational decision, the relational abstraction, the characteristics of, of heaven and, and maybe of hell, if that's appropriate, um, are, need to be foundations on which we lie those. Otherwise, those images and metaphors have no context and they become stuck in our minds because we, we focus on details and it's harder to hold the abstraction in our minds, the principles, the truths. So is it fair to say that heaven is relational, hell is relational, and whether it's a with God kind of thing or a I think so. away from God I think kind so, of thing? For, for our young kids especially. I think that's a good way to think of it. Now, that's not the only way. This yeah. is just the way that sure. I would prescribe, so take that with a grain of salt. And I guess that would also answer where is heaven, at, where it's, it's with well, God. Well, now heaven is up oh, well, that's and hell course. is down. Yeah, of course. You know, it's interesting. One of the most interesting uh, aspects of that is when Jesus comes up out of the water. And in the passage in, uh, in Mark chapter 1, it, it's described in the Greek as the heavens being torn open. Uh, he looks up, the heavens are torn open, a voice comes out. Mm. Um, and the spirit then comes down as a dove. That's pretty interesting. God tears a hole in the sky to make his his commentary known and his perspective known to people. Um, the up and down is, I think, is appropriate. That's universal. Um, whether it's in the lava flow a mile under the earth or not, <laughs> that's another question. Uh, so. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being with us this morning and helping to answer and start the conversation on a lot of these tough things for our kids. Um, but you gave us a lot of good things and uh, good takeaways that I hope so. um, I'll be yeah. able to use with our daughters and um, hopefully we'll all be able to continue the conversation together. Um, and next week we'll actually be back to your regular uh, host. Uh, Reagan will be back and she will be having the conversation of how do we talk to our kids about success and wealth and Renee and Scott Click will be joining us for that conversation. So look forward to that and thanks, thanks everyone.